Hello, and welcome to On the Matter of Systems, uh, episode 2.2, in which we will be reading Ribbon Drive by Avery Alder. On the Matter of Systems is a tabletop role-playing show uh, where every month your hosts will engage with some RPG theory and then some RPG design. I am BW. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by the other host, B. Hello, B. Hello. I'm he- I'm here and I'm B. You are here and you are B. It's true. <laughs> so, um... This is the second episode for this month. Like I had said, we usually read some RPG theory and then some design. So uh, last episode, we discussed Imagining Ourselves, Queer Mechanics and Queer Games by Avery Alder. Uh, This was a talk given in 2014. Uh, There's a bunch of great historical info in uh, episode 2.1, which I recommend you listen to if you have not. Uh, Yeah, so following on from that, I decided that we should read Ribbon Drive, which is a game by Avery Alder. Yay! Yay! Uh, Ribbon Drive was uh, originally, I think, written in 2009, and then sort of the the version that has become the final version that is released was done in 2011. Uh, It's available on her website. You can go to buriedwithoutceremony.com. She rules. Avery's great. She's an incredibly talented designer. Um, She both has made a lot of really great games, Monster Hearts and The Quiet Year, uh, especially uh, worth mentioning. Hell Um, yes, they are. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but she also does a lot of stuff like uh, I I checked her Twitter. She's like currently in some place in Europe, I think, uh, giving some talks about like RPG theory and design, which is cool. Um, So she gives a lot of talks about that. So what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about Ribbon Drive. I think I'm just going to launch into the summary. I love that. I I would love that. Great. So Ribbon Drive is a game about listening to mixtapes and going on road trips uh, and letting go is a phrase that gets used quite a lot. True. The basic idea is everybody who's going to play the game before you play puts together a mix CD or a mixtape. There's some guidelines in the book. And those mixes will play throughout the game session and essentially help you guide the narrative. When you start playing... Uh, You use the first two songs of one of the mixes to generate your setting. So what is the road trip that you're going on and your characters? Um, So everybody playing will create a character. All characters will have three traits and two futures. Uh, We can talk more about these uh, in detail, but... That's a capital T trait and a capital F future. (laughs) Correct. So capital T trait, capital F future. The basic idea is traits are, you know... Uh, characteristics of the character. Uh, So they could be a single word, they could be a sentence, uh, things like, I'm a workaholic, or I like beagles. Um, And then, listen, love beagles. Um, And then futures are full statements, which are sort of like the the future hopes for a character. Those, the, the name, the three traits and the two futures make up sort of your character sheet. Once you've established those, the mix continues. And basically, as the mix continues, scenes get framed by the characters, uh, they get narrated, and you're supposed to sort of let the the music playing sort of affect the tone of the scene. That could be the tone of the music, it could be the lyrics, it could be, you know, some sort of vague affect. Uh, But the idea is you want to sort of combine your narrative instincts and the music that is playing to frame all these scenes. As you go through framing the scenes, there are some mechanics for what is called activating the traits. So each character has these traits. You can activate them essentially by narrating them on screen, like on the metaphorical screen. Once those traits are activated, you can then use them as obstacles get Uh, sort of introduced. So again, as you're continuing to go through the scenes, there's mechanics for introducing obstacles and then resolving those obstacles. Um, There's also a section about conflict and how to resolve conflict uh, within the group. So obstacles are things that happen outside of the group to the group that's on the road trip. And conflict is problems sort of within the group. And the goal of the game is to have the characters resolve their futures. Again, the capital F futures. They can be resolved in one of two ways. You can either accomplish them. So in the book, there was an example of a character who had the future, I will fall in love, I think. And... They, at some point, they checked it off because they like met a cute gas station attendant and like immediately fell in love, and it was it was very cute. Or you can cross off a future, which means that a character has moved on and has decided that this this is no longer the future they want to pursue. And then the game ends when one of the characters becomes the protagonist, which means that you have crossed off both of your futures. 
and this is where letting go is is, a, is an operative word because the exactly. way the game ends is by your one character letting go of their future attachments or their, uh, the, the things that were driving them toward a particular future. Correct. So yeah, that's that's the game. I think that's a I think that's a pretty decent summary. Um, yeah. So B. What'd you, what'd you think of Ribbon Drive? I like it. I think it's interesting. Um, I, <laughs> uh, being me, of course, uh, I, I spoke about this with a friend um, at, a, at, a, at our monthly potluck, a friend who uh, makes a lot of mixtapes, shout out to Amina, um, <laughs> and kind of described it to her and she sound, said that sounded really interesting. And I was like, I would fucking play this with you, definitely. Um, <laughs> like... Uh, yeah, for sure. Until that conversation, I was kind of like on the fence. Like, I I would play this if somebody was like, "Hey, I'm playing Ribbon, Ribbon Drive. You want to join?" I'd be like, "Sure, sure, definitely." Like, I'm I'm curious. But like, that was the moment I was like, "Ah, oh, well, we got the seeds of a group here, don't we?" <laughs> <laughs> and it probably won't happen anytime soon. But uh, it's just like a you know being the the forever facilitator or whatever. That's always in the back of my mind. Like, who could I who could I corral in? Well. I, I am glad I'm glad you brought this up because this is a thing. I so I didn't usually I guess in this first part I have a bullet point that's like, why did we read this? But I didn't actually speak to that this time because the reason I chose it is because we watched it talk by Avery Alder and so I picked a game by Avery Alder. It's pretty simple. Uh-huh. <laughs> but one of the one of the other things I did have in the back of my mind was, oh, this would this could be fun because this is a game that I think we both might be interested in playing, which is a uh, distinct from last episode yeah. <laughs> when we talked about games, where I don't think either of us were like, I mean, I think we we you know we, they were both really interesting, but I don't think either of us came away being like, I want to play this. Like, yeah, who who am I? Who am I getting? Like, who's who's available? We got to do this right now. It's not yeah. not not my feelings on those other two games, despite thinking they were quite interesting. Yeah. Um. So that that makes that just makes me happy. Uh. In general, um. That that was one of one of your overall reactions. So that's yeah. cool. There's like a handful of other things I want to get deeper into, but we can go over that eventually. Um. But <laughs> my big sort of aesthetic takeaway was a I was I was pleasantly surprised at the lack of uh, capital T tenderness in this game. Um. What you referred to, uh, we were talking before, as as a it was it was distinctly less twee than um the uh, premise might suggest. Yeah. I think there is there is a place in this world for twee and and tender aesthetics. There are things that are in those categories that I probably enjoy. Don't ask me what they are. Thank you. Um, <laughs> hey, B, what twee stuff do you like? Oh, I liked the Decemberists at one point. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. I saw not gonna... them in concert. Did you really? Uh-huh. It was it was cute. This might be one of the more shocking things you've ever said to me. <laughs> I told you not to ask. Huh. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay. I don't I don't know that I still like them. I haven't I haven't revisited them in quite some quite some amount of years. But yeah, um generally not my personal aesthetic and and it is a um <laughs> it is in de- the tender the tender queer aesthetic I find can be sometimes endemic to uh, queer games um, for often good reasons or, or well-meaning reasons of people wanting to do as little harm as possible, things like that. And reading through this, uh, there's like pretty explicit, I think there's one of the example characters that Avery brings up is like a Viet- like somebody was playing a Vietnam vet who's like got uh, pretty severe smoking and drinking issues and who just has a seizure in, in the middle of one of the scenes. Yeah. Um, and that, like... That, to me, opens up the possibilities of this game. Like, speaking of, on why I had interest in running it, like, the concept is cool, right? I like the yeah. idea of, of making a mix and and getting together with friends and, and telling a weird story sort of guided by your interpretation of each other's musical tastes. But if there weren't examples of, like, pushing it in directions other than, like, and now we're going to be as kind to each other as possible or whatever, I I think I might have come away from this game being like, that sounds cool theoretically, but, like, in play, I think we would just get, like, it it would just be a kind of um, guided conversation uh, that 
didn't do much for me in terms of it being a system. Um, and I know there's a, there's a question of systems as, you know, mechanics, but also, and that's a more flavor thing or an example rather than an explicit mechanic. But, um, that, that dialed it in as, uh, an interesting system to me in a way that I would be interested in playing. Um, and that's, that's sort of my like high level, like, the it's aesthetically interesting in ways that I was not expecting, and also I I came away from it being like I have I have at least a couple friends who I would be fucking super down to listen to their weirdo mixes when I and my like make some fucking <laughs> terrible like rough sketch inspired gabber mix or something and just blow oh my the God. tone up. Amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I, I really liked it a, a, a lot. I mean, again, right, just like the premise of the show in general. I liked it a lot because I think there's like a bunch of interesting, clever stuff to think about. I also did come away from this one being like, oh, yeah, this one could be fun. I, I think the the tenderness thing especially, I, I did not, I didn't list it out as like a thing I noted, but I was very pleasantly surprised. I, I specifically, the, the one that really, like the thing that really got me was the conflict section. Mm-hmm. Some of the examples in the conflict section. So there's a there's a section of the book called Conflict, and it is less like uh it's less a mechanics discussion, I guess. And it's more like trying to help you think about what tools you have as a player in this game to use to resolve conflict. Does that seem fair? Yeah. Yes. Um I think that seems fair. I th- it's, yeah, you, you should go on. I, I feel like I have a lot to say about conflict and I think we're just in it now. So let's go. <laughs> yeah, I think we just are. Yeah. Um, I, so uh, the thing I was really struck by it, it was specifically that in the conflict section, one of the things Avery's really hammering on is when you run into conflict, you should take it seriously and you should really let the music help guide you, right? Like that's like the first thing she says is, really paying att- pay attention to what the so- what songs are playing and she takes it, it like she allows the songs in her examples to take you in places that could be pretty dark or pretty scary right like the the conflict that is in the book is about uh one of the characters is um like he's like super upset and angry and so he's like driving really really recklessly and putting everybody's lives in danger and so she basically walks through and says like okay well how would you resolve this at a table and kind of talks through like these are the things i would think about if i was at the table what song is playing what traits are on the character sheet right like these are sort of the tools you have available but the thing that she really focuses on is really take seriously both you know your narrative sensibilities but also where the story is going and don't don't be afraid to, for instance, it, you know, if the song that's playing is like really, you know, aggressive, carry it through. Like maybe nobody can get him to stop and maybe the car crashes and maybe it gets dark. Like, like she's pushing you to like take, take some of the stakes seriously and like really use the tools at the table in a way that was, that stood out to me, I think, because I erroneously came in with a little bit of a sense of like, oh, maybe this will be kind of like a, a sort of lighthearted story about a road trip or whatever. Yes. And so sim- similarly, I just, I, I was very impressed with like, oh, yeah, okay. Like she wants you to commit to the narrative sort of stakes that are building in a way that I think is cool. And it shouldn't be, you know, it's not always that the road trip gets to where they're going, et cetera, if that yes. makes sense. And and I want to um like say that this is not a like i want to set up that we're not talking about a binary like a binary thing right here right there's not a a a, you know established binary between like a tender game and an edgelord game um because this is extremely not an edgelord game (laughs) correct yeah 100 yeah no that's that's yeah absolutely and and i i even feel bad because like i don't neither of us are like i i i'm very excited about a video game i saw on tiktok in which you play a bug that delivers mail and it's just the cutest (laughs) thing i've ever seen in my entire life like i like cute sweet things but the i definitely walked into this feeling like okay if this is a cute sweet thing i'm not sure how much I'm going to like, I'm not sure how much I'll find here to like think through if that makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah. And was, it was just very pleasantly surprised that it, you know, it, I shouldn't have been, it's Avery, but like, and yeah, I'll, I feel like there was a lot. I'll, I'll say the last, 
one of my most recent gaming experiences is with Wander Home. Uh, oh yeah, just I an objectively tender game, uh, and I had a delightful time with it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, and, I, and there's a. I feel like there's a solid chance we will talk about that game in the future, and we will probably discuss the tenderness and where it works and where it doesn't. Not a, so it's not a blanket, you know, whatever. Well, uh, you you said you had a lot more thoughts about conflict. Why don't, why yes. don't you talk more about conflict? Uh, aside from the tenderness. Here's here's a thing. Here's a thing that I uh, hadn't thought about until we started talking and you were going through the book. Uh, you have said a number of times now that there is a conflict section. Uh, that is not how a lot of RPGs work. <laughs> um, yeah, fair. Uh, a, a good chunk of RPGs, maybe, you know, most uh, famously the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons... Most of the book is the conflict section, or rather, the mechanics are fundamentally about conflict, right? Whether that's, uh, you know, player, non-player character conflict that is resolved through attack rolls, um, player environment contact with skill checks, potentials for conflict, like, um, you know, gaining loot and, and purchasing armor or weapons. Conflict is kind of the core thing that that most, I would say, or at least most, you you can't possibly say most, uh, that uh, a lot of the most famous of these kinds of games base their mechanics on, if, you know, because, you know, there's a shit ton of setting stuff also, but like, mechanically, a lot of, of larger games are, here is how we resolve conflict, and then there's some other stuff also. Yes. Th- this is a game that says, Here's uh, 20 pages of stuff in, about this, and then here's two pages about co- handling conflict. Like, it's important, but like, it's kind of like the last thing you need to really need to worry about here. <laughs> I think there was something interesting in conflict versus obstacles in this game, mm-hmm. which is also maybe just worth stating explicitly for listeners, because it seems related to some of what you're talking about, too, which is the, the, the way Avery frames these two sort of proper nouns in ribbon drive. So you have obstacles. Obstacles are external, right? I think I've said this, but just to make that super clear. So obstacles are external. Conflict is really about how you resolve stuff between the players, which is also interesting to me because everything you've said is true, but also a lot of the conflict rules in a, in like a D and D for instance, are, are really about what Avery would call like an obstacle. So I thought it was interesting that basically you handle the two those two things differently in this game, right? Totally, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I, I like thought about this a lot earlier today, and I don't know that I have a more interest. Like I don't know that I have a follow on thought. <laughs> I just think it's really interesting that like you handle these things differently. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I should have more to say, but I well, just, yeah, yeah. To to your point, like the way obstacles will hand, are handled is actually a lot more like a um, mechanical uh, yeah. the use of mechanics. Cause it's, 100%. it's the use of you. Like you have to have already ticked off your trait to be able to do it. And if you don't, there's a, there's a sort of a narrative consequence um, and a mechanical consequence um, yeah. that we can get into in a second. But before we get on over to there, I wanted to just sort of go back to what you were saying about and, and sort of read. I want to read a, a, a paragraph basically. I love it. To try to explain why I find this interesting. This is like near the end of the conflict section. It's, it goes, the resolution of the situation isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is how these characters and the context of the trip is reflected in the situation. Does Anthony cause a crash is less important than does Anthony want to crash and is less important than is Amy in control of her own life and less important than the Joy Division song playing in the background. Use the situation as a launching point for exploring what the characters want, how they view the world, and who they think they are. Allow the resolution of the situation to spill secondarily from that. And I just think that's a really, really solid way to reinforce the what your priorities should be if you are playing the game the, game, the, the way the game wants to be played. It's like, the resolution is a secondary consideration. The character's motivation is a is more primary than that, which, and then the actual primary thing is the music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that the, I'm, I'm glad you read that. This is this. Yeah. 
this uh this is a this is a banger paragraph <laughs> like it's it, it is really it is very it is it is very concise and as you said like really lays out a great kind of like priority of sort of how can we resolve this and the it it's one of those things that i think is uh we've talked a little bit about uh play versus reading right and i feel like the the thing i came away from this book realizing is that there is actually something very crucial i feel like to hearing the songs to actually get ribbon drive right like actually listening to a mixtape because it's it's one thing to kind of imagine the songs playing but uh mm-hmm. i think it i think it's i think it is I came away from this being like, I feel like to really and truly understand this, I would actually want to play this game, which I don't usually come away from books feeling. And I think in part it is because of how she lays this out here, right? Which is resolution is is great, but it's not, it, it pales in comparison to the actual characters and what they want. And that pales in comparison to taking seriously the mix that you're, you're listening to. Um, and like juggling those things and trying to take that stuff seriously at a table, like sounds both very like, honestly a little difficult but also really fun mm-hmm. um this, so i was really i was really impressed um, is, uh, are we are, oh no are, <laughs> this is no. not an actual play podcast starts. never <laughs> never ever uh-uh. <laughs> on the matter of systems we don't play games we talk about them uh hard rule okay. um uh, i mean we'll see <laughs> we're, we're four episodes in and you're already going back on your <laughs> i never want to play the game i just want to read the system so that's we'll true. We'll see what happens. We will. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, like I, I think you. I think reading that paragraph also is a much more concise way of saying the thing I was stumbling towards earlier, which is I, I really love what she does in this conflict section of like r- really helping you as a player th- think. Uh, how can I get the most out of these mechanics and what is the way to sort of approach a situation to get the most out of what these mechanics are trying to do? And I think the conflict section is just a really good, it's just a really good example of like helping folks think the way a system is asking them to think. If that, I think that makes sense. Yes, I agree. Um, yes, it is. It is a, that particular paragraph is just such a, a strong example of uh, <laughs> of design that is like, hey, this is what this game is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and here's here not to keep harping on the tender thing, but there are so many games I've read um, that come you know in the wake of this game that would give you a sentence like a paragraph like this. And then be like, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, to, which, uh, to which my reaction is always, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I am well aware that uh, the facts at the when, you, when you're playing a system are not the same as the ones when you are like, when it was designed. Because um, even if I'm not actively trying to subvert certain things, I'm going to forget stuff. Uh, well, but, yeah, but yeah. some of us are rule followers, so, so it's nice to be reminded. <laughs> yes, I think there. But the, my point is less that yes, you no. should never say that, and more that like there have been a glut of games, maybe just stuff that I have been running across in the last couple of years that I'm just like immediately undermine their own design decisions at, at every turn, and I'm like, you gotta, you've got, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta just make the decision and trust that people are like able to be like, no, nah, that doesn't seem like it's gonna work for my table tonight. Or, uh, yeah, okay, this mechanic that's supposed to come in at the end is gonna take us another two hours, and uh, we've been playing for seven, and so may- maybe we allied it a little bit, <laughs> um, or whatever other billion possible reasons you could think of. Uh, yes, uh, highly encourage text to be like this this is your game you should play it how you want to feel stay safe all of those things but sometimes just seeing an example of just like here's how this game works is really good to me yeah i i agree i mean we we've talked about this a little bit um but like the language i sometimes use is i i am interested in games that are opinionated yeah 
right? Because because I, I would rather the system have an opinion about what it thinks the right way to play is. And then I can, like you said, right, we can discard it or not do it or whatever. But as a person, again, who primarily reads, I'm just, I'm far more interested in a system that is like, is just saying, this is what we do. Like, this is what you do here and you do that. <laughs> do, please do it. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, anything else on conflict? Um. I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm split. I guess uh, you're you're driving today, not to accidentally make a pun about the title, but um, I feel like futures and and obstacles are both things that I'm interested in, like talking about next. Where, where were you thinking about going next? I was I was thinking uh, of either of those two actually. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> wh- why don't we do Why don't we do obstacles? Um, yeah talk a little bit about those I, so i i feel like this is a thing i i was interested in so obstacles like i said are are sort of things that come sort of from the world and affect the the road trip so these are things that are out of their control so it could be things like a storm or i don't know other things uh but it won't it it, it is not stuff like conflict between characters for instance yes I, what I didn't talk about earlier was that there are sort of rules around introducing obstacles, which I think are pretty simple, but for some reason, it, I ended up getting a little confused by the reading. Can I can I give it a shot? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, I think the only hard and fast rule is that uh, you can't have spoken in the scene either as yourself or... Or not, I'm sorry, that's not entirely true. Whoever is the last person in the group to talk during a scene is the only person who can introduce an obstacle during that scene. Yes. And that doesn't mean just speaking in character. It can also mean describing, you know, scenery or, you know, the car or whatever, you know, the diner or whatever, an NPC sort of style character. Um, so whoever's the last person who who talks is the only one who can introduce an obstacle. I think she explicitly, yeah, she explicitly says there shouldn't be an obstacle in every scene. Most games have between one and six obstacles. Um, And given that everyone's making a mixtape that is between 30 and 70 minutes, there should probably be more than uh, six scenes total. Yeah. 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 And then when you introduce the obstacle, you just, uh, you go like, hey, a fucking boulder is coming down the road and it's going to crush us. Oh, no. What do we do? What do we do? Well, I am playing the character Benjamin Waithright. And I have activated my trait. I can stop boulders. So. And how'd you do that? Yeah, so uh, obstacles basically have to be dealt with. They can be dealt with in one of two ways, right? One is you can, somebody can use one of their activated traits. Mm-hmm. And the activation is essentially you just have to have narrated during a previous scene that you have the trait, right? You need to like have demonstrated the trait in some way. It could be somebody noticed something. It could be you did a thing. Um, and once you do that, it's activated. Is that I think there's accurate. Spe- yeah, I think there's specifically a scene that uh, I, don't, I don't have it up in front of me, but Avery points out. There's like I think it's her character has my existence as a pinprick, and the way she activates the trait is literally just like framing a like a camera shot style scene where she's just in a long line. Yeah, and it's just like that's that's activated now because we've seen it on screen rather than just you know had it told to us. And I'm and I'm sure you can you know. There's another example in the in the conflict section where you could activate a trait because uh, the uh, Anthony character could activate stubborn as a mule because he's um, you know driving recklessly down a large hill with windy yeah. roads. So it's it could be yeah like you said it could be an action and it can just be a framing of one of the traits that you wrote up during character creation. Yeah. Um, so uh, when you are trying to deal with an obstacle, if you have an activated trait that is useful, you can overcome it. And you can narrate that, which is cool. The other thing you can do is if you have a trait that if the language she uses is revoked or flipped on its head, if it would become helpful if you think of it as like the opposite or if it's somebody who's like giving up on a trait, that's another way that somebody could overcome the obstacle. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, I did too until I reread it this morning. But yeah, <laughs> so the, these are the two. The, so 
you can either resolve an obstacle or you can take a detour. And the two ways that you can resolve an obstacle are use an activated trait or essentially like you're crossing off a trait, which I have I have some questions about. She doesn't really go into the details here about this, but I, I think in general, I understand it. Like, I don't know, I could imagine a situation in which somebody has some sort of trait that involves, I don't know, whatever, having a gun, and then you give up the gun <laughs> or something, or you have some sort of, yeah, anyway, uh, I could I can imagine various ways in which this could happen, but it's she doesn't go into a ton of detail, and this is the only time, I, I think, in the entire book that it's mentioned that you can sort of, like, cross off or revoke one. Uh, but the other thing you can do it with against an obstacle is if nobody has a trait that is helpful to overcome it, you can take a detour. So you have to narrate how the road trip sort of either backtracks or takes a detour to get around it. And then uh, when you take a detour, you switch the mix. Um, so uh, this is, I think, w- the only two ways that the mix will change. One is you take a detour or one person's mixtape is finished and then you start an- another one. Um, yes, that is correct. Uh, but those are the ways you, you get rid of obstacles. I, I really liked the way she, she framed the obstacle stuff. It felt like a really elegant, like if it feels like just enough guidance that it's like relatively clear how to do the mechanic, but it also still feels really light to me. I thought this section was really interesting, and I thought this was just, like, a clever way of introducing complication and problems. Mm-hmm. Even up to the point of it's the last person to speak. I think that's kind of clever, because that means that the person who's going to introduce the obstacle is the person who has been doing sort of the most observing, right? And hasn't been necessarily in it um, for a given scene. There's also just a good, really good bit in here where um, she talks about how she has developed a way to silently ask, are you being silent because you want to introduce an obstacle? Yeah. Where she's uh, she will apparently, like, if one person is talking and two people aren't, assuming it's a three-person game, or if two people are talking and two people aren't, if it's four-person, um, she'll, like, turn to the person and make an O with her hands and raise an eyebrow quizzically. Um, Very cute and good. And then in, in that way that you can silently communicate, like, oh, yeah, we're both waiting for the other person to speak because we have a really good obstacle idea. Or they can be like, oh, I zoned out. My bad. Yeah, uh- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, like, I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, any, any, what did you, how did you feel about obstacles in general? Did you have any specific thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I did a, I did a control F on the PDF. Uh, the words revoked and the word flipped uh, appear nowhere else in this document. So <laughs> cool. I think you were right. Um, I think uh, one of the interesting things here, and we, we kind of spoke to this, but the sort of end game of this game is, an attempt for at least one person to cross off both of their traits, which is to say, or not traits, um, their futures, which is to say to um, sort of give up on or make impossible these this thing that somebody wants in, in the future. Both conflict and obstacles, I don't think there's an explicit mention of futures in either of these sections. I, I think you are correct. Yeah. Which is interesting, again, because when you think of, of conflict in a lot of other tabletop games... Um, it is present in order to advance narrative, right? Yeah. Toward Towards a particular end. Uh, in this case, conflict and obstacles are explicitly not the mechanisms by which you get to the conclusion of your story. They are ways to um, engage with, first of all, the music, and second of all, uh, what characters want. Because that's fundamentally what you're doing with the traits, right? Is, is describing yeah. some aspect of, of the person you're playing. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was neat. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that is really neat. I mean, I think the 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 thing about fe- futures that immediately jumped out when you were talking right then, right, was there is a way that futures are supposed to sort of appear, I guess it's a weird word to use, but there is a way that features sort of appear as you go through the scenes and you narrate through obstacles and conflict and all of that. Right. But it's like a, it's like a negative appearance because one of the things that I don't think I mentioned about futures that feels relevant here is every character has two futures, right? 
So like these two statements, and I think Avery recommends that one is sort of like a near term and one is a longer term sort of goal. Characters are not allowed to speak about the future, like writ large, right? Mm -hmm. Broadly taken, unless it is an explicitly stated future from one of the characters. From their character, right? Is it that? I think it's I think you literally can only talk about your own future. Interesting. Well, now I'm going to look. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm also No, no, no. I am remembering a th- I'm remembering a thing. I just can't find it. Um Oh yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah. Uh this was the language I was remembering. So as a player, I want my character to say something. I'm quoting from this is like a one of the like actual play kind of example segments. As a player, I want my character to say something along the lines of, I really hope that Anthony finds his antidote so that he can be there alongside me. But the prospect of Anthony finding an antidote isn't one of my two futures, so that isn't something I can narrate. Instead, I say to the group, I really hope that my children get the chance to know Anthony. Which I... So yeah, so you are correct. So uh, basically, characters are not allowed to speak about the future unless it is one of their two named futures. Which it is is very interesting to me, like alongside the observation that both obstacles and conflicts, which are sort of the two like mechanic sections, broadly speaking, really don't mention futures at all. And in part, it's because the futures are like a negative constraint on what you can even talk about, which is very yeah. interesting. And it's something that I think is maybe a little more subtle in the book than it should be. The, the specifically the future part yeah i th- i don't disagree with you i feel like some of that comes out further when she gets around to making the quiet year totally yeah uh, yeah uh, because and i've i've personally never actually played it this way but i found out recently that you're not supposed to talk while you're playing the quiet year unless you're explicitly holding a conversation which is one of the moves it's kind of just supposed to be a, like, you narrate what is happening, but you're not supposed to be conversing about it unless you are holding a conversation. So this seems almost like a uh, a bit of a prototype of that uh, that rule. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, like, I, it's just, it uh, it is the way I feel about a lot of this book, where, like, I don't know that I have, like, a concluding thought about a, a bunch of these things, but I just think they're very they're very clever and they're like done very well. And I don't think, yes, like, I don't think ribbon drive is perfect for sure, but like, (laughs) right. But like, I I think it's so, I think it's so interesting. And I I don't know, like I I hesitate to use this language because I I mean, for one, it's cliche, but like it does so, so much with so little, like that's not exactly what I mean. It's just, it just felt like a very elegant system. And especially again, like taking conflict obstacles and futures together, like this is, it's, they just, those three things feel like a thing I want to think about a lot. <laughs> yes. And like how they interact, right? And like ways you could change them uh, that they just seem really interesting. I think I also um, like had been, had this in the back of my mind, but kind of just pieced it together. But like, there's a, there is an incredibly practical reason for this rule, right? If you're not sharing openly your character traits and, and futures, which I think there's like something that says like you can or you can't, it doesn't really Correct. matter. Yeah, this is what this this is one of the like optional things is you can you can write your traits and your futures for your character and then not share them with each other. Yes. And in the case you're playing it that way, if you just start talking about a bunch of different kinds of futures, no one's gonna have any fucking idea what your futures are. <laughs> yeah, totally. But if you are constantly like saying things like, Oh, I hope Anthony gets to know my kids and oh look at those cute kids, uh you know. <laughs> Uh, people are going to be like, oh, well, the, um, the I'm, those are bad examples, and I just pulled one of them out of the book. But, you know, it, people will notice eventually if they're paying attention to you, which they hopefully are, because uh, these are games about, you know, talking to each other and, and listening and stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, they will notice, like, oh, okay, so B's character here clearly wants to have kids, right? Because yeah. You are only allowed to talk about your own future, and there has been multiple future-oriented statements from them about the uh, anticipation of children, which is just cool. It's just a it's a cool way to be like, here's a, a relatively subtle way to almost aesthetically guide play. I think. Yeah, yeah. I 
I, I, I agree with that and like the way you said that quite a lot. Thank you. Cool. We actually don't have a ton left on our list to talk about. I have a couple things I could talk about briefly. Yeah. Because uh, I don't really think I have too, too much to say. But uh, I mean, just it's worth we've talked about it a bit, but I, I feel like it's worth bringing up. I just think in general, the the like core mechanic of the game being you create a mixtape is just neat. <laughs> like, I think it's yeah. really I think it's really cool. And so the the basic rules, uh, the guidelines are really pretty straightforward and minimal. Every every person should make a mix. The mix should be between what it's like 30 and 70 minutes, I think. Yep. They should have a title and they should have a sort of uh, loose or very tight sort of thematic through line, right? Yeah. And that's kind of it. So 30 to 70 minutes, a running theme and an interesting and descriptive title. And again, this is one of those things where I feel like when you playing it probably feels very different than just reading about this one. The, the, The basic idea is you have these mixes and then you kind of choose one randomly and that's how oh, you do say what <laughs> just uh, putting a pin in that right there uh just choose one randomly interesting anyway go on wait why is that interesting we'll talk about it oh okay i i get it this is the other <laughs> bullet point that's coming <laughs> um yeah so you choose one randomly and then like like we had said earlier when we were talking about detours right the only way that then you change the mix is by either a mix playing through its entire length or you take a detour, and so you abruptly basically stop wherever you were in the previous mix when you take a detour, you randomly select another of the mixes, and then you hit start, and then you use that first song to sort of set the new stage. So, I, I don't know, like, I just I just think it's, again, I, I, I feel a little bad because I don't feel like I have too much more to say other than I think it's really neat, but I just <laughs> think it's very clever and and is a good, like... Uh, playing story games like this, I think, can be really overwhelming to folks uh, often mm-hmm. when they're not used to it. And so I feel like yeah. having having the songs is like a cool, you know, if you're just like not sure what to say, you know, you have this thing that is part of the game. You're not being distracted. You are actually, in fact, really like engaging by kind of like, you know, pausing and just listening to the music a little bit and like listening for lyrics or a snippet. I think it's a cool and very like... I think it is a it is a thing that could help folks who might be a little intimidated by sort of the kind of free improv of this of this game. And then just yeah. in general, I thought it was cool that you used the first two songs to like you use them very explicitly to set the setting and to do your character sheet. I just think that's yeah. also just really clever. I will say that was the most difficult part of the <laughs> book for me to understand on my first read through. I, I feel like I had to like go back and reread the section a couple times, not because it's like poorly written, because it, it was just I was just having trouble wrapping my head around it. Because it's like I think I was like, wait, like are we doing this with all of the mixes? Um, yeah. Or- it- yeah, no, this, I think this is, that part is actually slightly less clear than it could be in the book, but no, it, it is that you, you pick one mix and then it is the first two songs from that mix are your setting and then your characters. Um, yes. Which I think was tripping me up because I was like in this, uh, you know, <laughs> in this egalitarian mindset where, where, you know, there's no GM here, so there's no one giving, um... There's no one giving orders, as it were. There's no one who's done more prep than anyone else. And I was like, but when then why would you just... Why would one person's mix determine the whole setting and all of your characters? And then everyone else's first two songs are just like, that's just part of the mix. And then I realized that was the case, and I was like, oh, that's totally fine. <laughs> there's yeah, there's yeah. nothing like weird about that at all. But in my brain, I was like, "That you can't possibly be that because everyone did the prep, so everyone has to have some world building or something." And it's like, "No, that's not that's not useful or or particularly interesting." So she didn't do it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I have anything else to talk about from my stuff. So we have one agenda item left. You flag that you would like to talk about. I mean, the agenda item is how it uses dice. Yeah. Uh, so um, why don't you talk a little bit? Yeah, going going behind the scenes a bit, we have sort of a, a pre-rolled uh, set of things that we might be interested in focusing on. And one of the things I 
uh, chose from that art from our list was how it uses dice. Because uh, it don't. They, it there's don't. no dice in this. There's no mm. dice in this, BW. None. Zero. And there's no game masters either. Yeah. It's weird. It's like there's there's like no... Let's see. There's no dice. We've established that. Yeah. And then uh-huh. there's no masters. So no there's dice, no, no masters. Dice, no masters. So that would be a great name for something. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like a system or... Not a system. I mean, system seems too limiting. Maybe like an engine of some sort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're very funny. Uh-huh. Um, that sounds like we belong outside of belonging. Um, so... Quitting this podcast. <laughs> um, this is why I wanted to put the pin in. Once we are all gathered with our mixes in hand, we can begin playing. We randomly determine the order that our mixes will play in. That was, that was interesting to me. Because uh, often, when we are reading role-playing games... Things don't just say randomly determine. They will say, for instance... Roll a d10. Roll a d10. Or, on the other hand, we have things like Fiasco, where to choose uh, who goes first, you um, everyone has a conversation around the table, and they go, and you say, whoever... I believe it's whoever is from the smallest t- hometown. Whoever has the smallest hometown goes first. Correct. Avery takes neither of these options. In, in Ribbon Drive here, which is I thought was was interesting, because the game uses no set randomizer. I guess, theoretically, she could have said, you know, take all of your CDs and shuffle them. Or like, take them out of a, the pouch, shuffle them upside down, and do three-card money or whatever. Um, but you, she can't be sure that people are using CDs. And I don't know how, like, you, you sign them one to three and, and roll a three-sided dice, but then you're rolling a die... I don't know, like, I don't know what, did you, how did you envision randomly determining uh, the order that our mixes will play in? Or did you think about that at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, could, I I imagined a number of things. Yeah, like, I could imagine you have a, you have, you just grab a, a, a die and you roll it. I could imagine you use a random number generator, depending on the format. If it was physical things, yeah, you could just, like, shuffle them. But I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't spend too much time thinking about it. Yeah, well, I spent, on, you know, a number of hours listening to a bunch of Belonging Outside Belonging designers uh, talking on the Plus One Forward podcast over the last couple of weeks. So I was thinking a lot about No Dice, No Masters and uh, how this is a game that predates it, but kind of, um, kind of seems to presage a lot of the uh, design decisions there. I think it's... Um, from my understanding, I've only played one game of no dice, or one belong outside belonging game. That was Wander Home, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I'm looking forward to playing it more um, at some point, hopefully. And and we played it kind of freeform because none of us super got understood the rules. Like we all kind of had just read sections of the book. I read the book twice, but I didn't. It didn't entirely click until we were. A lot of things didn't entirely click until we were in play. But so the big things in belong outside belonging. This is a, an engine that. Avery would come up with with Dream Askew and Dream Apart. Um, Avery wrote Dream Askew. I believe Ben Rosenbaum wrote Dream Apart. I might be getting that wrong. It, that uh, sounds that sounds right. I I was holding this book in my hand recently, uh, and nice. that sounds familiar. Yeah, and so Avery wrote Dream Askew in 2011, 2013, 2013, uh, and then it sort of lingered for a while, and then like 2019, the Dream Askew, Dream Apart thing came together, and the No Dice, No Masters, Belong Outside Belonging engine started. The I think the high level, as I understand it, for a, for a Belong Outside Belonging game is that, generally speaking, you will play as both a character and a setting, and you establish this at the top. Um, they do not use dice. Instead, they use tokens, which you get for completing, uh, for using moves or in-game actions that you get for often using weaker moves, uh, things that will hurt you, and that you can spend to use stronger moves, things that will allow you to have more narrative control. Um, I think that's like the very broad brushes of belonging outside belonging. I think that sounds very similar. Oh, and the other thing is no GM, obviously. Yeah. Um, it is it is GM-less or GM-full, depending on how annoying you want to sound when you're talking about it. Uh, (laughs) All of that stuff is here, kind of, right? The tokens are not, the moves are not. So it is not a belonging outside belonging game, but I I think a lot of that is here, and I just found it very interesting to specifically see her making a game in which 
she taught she like still like relies sort of on the crutch of randomization in certain aspects i feel like there might be one other place where uh, a thing needs to be randomized um but i'm not positive in, ri- um, in ribbon drive yeah in ribbon drive um I think the only other the only other mention of randomizing is if you take a detour, you you randomly select the next mix is the only one I remember, but I could be wrong. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you, there's also a mention of um, shuffle uh, using shuffle in um, character creation and world creation in the like alternates. Yeah, she provides like an alternate. I think specifically, it, there was a there's a section around character creation that felt very much like this is explicitly in response to feedback from folks who've played ribbon drive multiple times, which I totally get the, essentially it's if you are worried about people sort of like overly prescribing their first two songs or something, or if you're just, you know, you just want to be able to shake things up. There's yeah, there's some randomizing that you could do using shuffle and et cetera. So I just, I guess uh, all that to say, one of the things that caught my eye as a person who, you know, has been a, uh, a big, fan of Avery's work for a long time now um, and and has, you know, studied and played it. And who's also, you know, deeply interested in, in different systems and engines and stuff. Seeing uh, <laughs> sort of what seems like sort of tentative steps toward a bunch of different things. Like I said, with the Futures thing, that seems like of movement toward a, a, a central mechanic of uh, the Quiet Year. This This weirdness around randomization where she doesn't quite commit to anything but still kind of needs it in there i feel like is a is another point it into which you can see the the future of belonging outside belonging games um and how she would get there so when i when i flagged how it uses dice what i was really flagging was it's kind of interesting uh seeing a designer uh develop over time and become your favorite game designer (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think this is a thing we sh- we share as like an an interest is watching people sort of develop. This is very explicitly a thing I am interested in a lot, which is it's one of the things I'm hoping that we end up being able to explore as we record more episodes and spend more time with specific people. I think this is like yeah, this is this is a really cool thing to be able to see people sort of develop and see the the seeds of ideas. Because even as you were as you were talking through that, I was just thinking about the different bits of like the quiet ear that kind of feel like they're here. Sweet. Uh, I think the only thing we haven't really talked about, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but the only other thing on the list was uh, if we want to talk at all about the ending, like how the game ends. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm a bit in your shoes here um, with what you've said a couple times of being like, this is really neat, and I don't really know how to articulate um, much about it. But like, yeah, as we've mentioned, the the way the game ends is uh, when somebody becomes the protagonist, um, which means that they have given up on both of their futures at some point over the course of play, which I actually, it just now occurs to me that you might be listening to your mixes multiple times over, huh? Yeah, possibly. And especially if you're, like, throwing out obstacles and not uh, resolving them. But yeah, um, so once you've got both of your futures all all figured out, uh, by which I mean abandoned, uh, <laughs> um, because there's the alternate thing. I don't remember if we said this or not, but you can just complete your future. Uh, you, you sort of mentioned this. The example in the book is somebody's future is like, I'm going to fall in love. falls in love at first sight. You get a little check mark next to that future. And you're not, you're not the protagonist. That's just how it goes. But if you give up on both of your futures, you do become the protagonist. Uh, and then we have this, uh, this wonderful sentence uh, in the section arriving. When one of our characters becomes the protagonist, that's it. We've hit the climax of our game and it's our job to turn, to bring it to a quick but meaningful close. The scene in which a protagonist emerges might be our final scene. Alternately, we might have one or two brief follow-up scenes to tie up loose ends. Either way, play comes to a close in a way that feels natural but does not linger. I don't know what to do with that, but I like it. I do too. It's it's yeah. not how I think of protagonism often in, in fiction. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's the 
It's the it's the thing that she there's a the the I think one of the last pages, if not the last page, is is just more sort of information about inspirations, right? And yes. kind of where this where this came from, and that really helped helped me make sense of this mechanic because the thing we talked to, we were talking a little before the recording, but the thing about this this mechanic was the, when I first read this book, I got to the end and was like, oh wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is is interesting because I feel like this is maybe the only thing that I came away from. I I came away from Ribbon Drive incredibly positive, but this really did feel just like a weird little miss, which is the importance of the futures and like the importance more abstractly of like the concept of letting go and like transformation and figuring out what you actually want. Like that really is the core of what this game is in some ways. And I I wish it had maybe been like a little more forcefully stated more often to keep the futures sort of really, really front of mind, right? Because that's the only way that the protagonist thing is cool to me is if you really take seriously both that you can only speak about your futures, right? And that everybody at the table is actively working towards making those futures like visible on screen. And there's there's a line that I really like. It's the, the beginning, it's the first sentence in the resolving our futures section, which is just during play, it is everyone's job to bring their futures into conversations. Like, I just feel like if that was like bold and in really big type, <laughs> it would help, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because the pieces are all there. It's just like, I, I was, the emphasis I, I feel like was slightly off. I, I feel like the conflict stuff and the obstacle stuff, you need it and it's really important. But I maybe wish that the futures had like just been like hammered on a little more. Yeah, I feel like I can, uh, I guess we should say this. Um, this is like pretty clearly written and laid out in Microsoft Word. Correct. There is there is no InDesign uh, happening here, much less more professional layout software. This I think this book could definitely benefit from from some bolder layout choices yeah but but that is what it is yeah i don't think it needs it right i think that's the thing i would say is like i don't know that it's like you should all buy ribbon drive like it's great it's really fun it's fun to read it was probably super fun to play i just think to me the the ending even just in reading the book the protagonist stuff fell a little flat just because it felt like at the end it was like oh and by the way the futures have been really important this whole time (laughs) Right. And and I, that's the other thing I was I was thinking is like, there is I can't like pull it, you know, off the top of my head right here. But there I remember there being little moments throughout where like, she does a thing where she's like, and this, this is where futures are gonna matter. But we'll talk about that later. And I feel like that happens like two or three times throughout the text in a way that like, I can see writing it feeling like, okay, I've laid enough hooks down so that that you know everyone's going to be dying to know what the future what how important the futures are and then when, when i tell them they're going to lose their shit uh but it just it that's not how i read it even a little bit yeah same um cool any other thoughts on ribbon drive i think that's everything from our list yeah um i like i what's the fruitful void of this <laughs> Oh, whoa. Uh, I mean, I I actually think it's in some ways the fruitful void is the thing we've just been talking about a little bit, which is, except it is explicit. So it's not, it's not a true void, but like the thing that this book really is about is the thing that I've, you know, the complaint I just made, which is the thing that I feel like is, is maybe less hammered on, which is specifically attachment to sort of the future and to sort of what your wants and desires are as a person. It is mentioned, so it's not truly a fruitful void. I apologize, but I, I was joking about fruitful void. And that's ex- exactly what I was hoping you would answer with, uh, <laughs> honestly, because I, I, I think reading this book twice is not going to, and then immediately talking about it, we are we are in the process of being able to find what the fruitful void is. Correct. If, like me, you believe deconstruction um, often takes uh, time and experience, <laughs> and uh, you know. I also just think that understanding Topics. things takes time and experience. Yes. It doesn't yes. have to be deconstruction. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's a, all, a, all a, a, a variable scale. Um, depends on the thing, depends on the you, depends on 
Depends on all that shit. Uh, context. All of which to say, I the thing I, I feel like we have, I think we've done a not terrible job of hitting it, but yeah, this is in some ways explicitly, although somewhat quietly, a game about, that's, ex- yeah, about saying, about playing characters who are letting go of their future attachments. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's interesting. I don't, I don't, I think that's the thing for me that I guess I would have to, I feel like I would have to play to like, to get it. But also I feel like, you know, half the tables I play with people are uh, just, they're very funny. And so it's a little hard to do like genuine terror or uh, existential dread <laughs> sometimes when yeah. your friends are just the funniest people. But I, yeah, I would be very curious to see what this game looks like in practice, specifically around how well it can drive certain groups. Sorry again. I just, I use the word drive a lot, I think. <laughs> um, uh, it could drive certain groups to uh, to to uh, experience the thing that it wants you to, like to to get a sense of uh, the the no future, <laughs> yeah, lifestyle, yeah. Cool. I don't have yeah. any. I don't. Th- I don't have anything else to say about Rip and Drive. I think it's a cool game. I like it a lot. I think it's really interesting. I think I would actually enjoy playing it. Yeah. Look at that. We got. We gotcha. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, should we look ahead to the next episode? Oh my god! What, oh my god. what are we gonna read? Oh, no. What are oh, we gonna god, read? No. Oh. Oh, I had this whole idea that I was gonna do, and I like met, brought it up in the last uh, thing. I was like, oh, you didn't check the other link, but I, I wanted. I made a pivot last minute. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Just a couple days ago, I was like, I was like, what am I doing? This is like clearly role playing game theory. The thing I was I was gonna link. Okay. What if we did the West Marches? The West Marches. Do I know what the West Marches is? Ben. Ooh, oh yes, Robbins? it's this one. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, oh, that's Ben <laughs> Robbins, right? <laughs> that's interesting. The- <laughs> This is this is weird at this point. L- literally, the I was thinking of either Microscope or Kingdom for the next game <laughs> we read. Um, so this is just fucking spooky at this point. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> we'll see if I stick oh. with it. But uh, yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. So back in 2011-ish, 2007, it says on the bottom of the blog. Ben Robbins, uh, the designer of such games as Microscope and Kingdom and Follow, wrote about his experiment with a with a style of game. The post is titled Grand Experiments West Marches, and it is about running a table as a GM where you are not the person who plans anything. There are probably like 20 people in the game. And basically it's like a way of running a consistent tabletop group that has drop in, drop out, and and is entirely player driven. As in, you prep the world once. Yeah. (laughs) And And then then the players go, go, (laughs) I want to go to to that, that hex over there. And you go, I'm free on Saturday. And they go cool, I'm going to go find out who in the rest of the group is free. I'm going to organize them all together and we'll, we'll show up with snacks or whatever and, and play this game. I have read the first section of this a number of times because this has always been a fascinating concept to me. I, I have, when I was running D&D especially, perpetually had too many people in the group. I don't think I've ever run a game of D&D that had less than five people in it. Which like five is the usually the upper limit that the games recommend. I've I've run a I have run a game with at least ten people in it at one point, and having so like a, a framework like this would have been really helpful. But I did not know about the West Marches at that point, and so I think it's I think it's a, a really interesting experiment. I, and I have not gotten through. There's a part two, three, and four, and then there's a. Uh, running your own section or like follow-up post. And then he has a couple of follow-ups that are titled West March's Secrets and Answers, West March's Layers of History, and West March's A Survivor Story. 
BW, up to you. I think if you want to, you can just read part part one, two, three, and four, or or you can read them all. I'll probably read all all of eight pieces here. Cool. But yeah, uh, what what do you what do you think? I were again as as last time. I was like, well. If we're going to be reading theory, then why don't we watch theory? And then this time I'm like, well, if we're going to be reading theory, why don't we read a kind of a design doc in some ways? That's like a retrospective. Um, it's not capital T theory, but I think it, it, it could provide us interesting ideas that as we continue to talk about games and, you know, maybe help me run games that don't have like 50 people in them all the time. <laughs> Cool. That no, this sounds great. Yeah, I mean, I will for sure read one through four, and we'll probably, at, at the very least, look at the others just to see what they are. Uh, but yeah, this sounds great. I uh, we have talked a little bit about this a billion years ago. I, th- I feel like you brought it up, uh, so this will be fun. I'm I'm excited to dig in. Sweet, I am too, and that's why I chose it instead of doing the thing that I will probably choose next month. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Uh, Okie doke. Well, I think that is an episode of On the Matter of Systems. Uh, This has been episode 2.2. B, if people wanted to find you on the internet, where would they go look? Oh, gosh. I know. This is a terrible (laughs) question that we shouldn't ever ask, actually. The answer is uh, go into your podcast platform of choice and look up Island Demeter or go to islanddemeter.com slash feed. Is that how that works? Sure. Uh, let me let me let me do a little. Well, here's the thing: we will for sure get the link right in the show notes. Oh, I, I think I'm going to cut that part that <laughs> the discussion last time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, if you need the direct RSS feed, it's islanddemeter.com/slash/feed/slash/podcast/slash/islanddemeter. You should be able to find it in search. Hopefully, I did all that shit like two years ago. <laughs> uh, um, I think it's on Spotify also. Weird. Um, I remember putting it on Spotify at some point because somebody was like, I only listen on Spotify. And I was like, well, I like you and I want you to be able to listen. <laughs> so how about yourself? If you if you would like to find me on the internet, uh, don't do it. Wow. Um, but you could go to Instagram.com slash bakery slash workshop. That's three words. Bakery slash workshop all smushed together with no spaces. Or you can go to bakery slash workshop dot com. Uh, and I sell things that I make. Buy BW's pottery. Bye. No, buy BW's pottery. <laughs> buy. Oh, buy BW's pottery. Don't buy my pottery. I'm not. Whatever. Okay, I'm not selling anything right now. But yes, please buy do BW's buy things. Buy bread eventually. if uh, you are in the proper area, which I will not name. <laughs> correct. Uh, I mean, you could say it. I live in Chicago. If you live in Chicago and you want to buy sourdough bread, you know you can bug me. Hell yeah! Um, it's great bread. Incredible bread. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time for episode 3.1, in which we will discuss uh, the West Marches. By Ben Robbins. Goodbye. Yep. Goodbye. Um, other than that, uh, send an email to uh, islanddemeter at gmail.com. I might check those at some point. Yeah, I, I, and, I won't. I don't have access. Uh, you probably don't. Listen, I made that like two months ago, and I don't know that I remember the password, so maybe I won't check it. Um, we, we run a tight ship. Listen, it's, uh, it's been a long couple of years. It has been a long couple of years. <laughs> um, cool. Uh,